We're continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And today's uh, text is chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30. I want to remind all of us what Jesus is doing is actually giving us a six illustrations from the Old Testament that he did not come to abolish or destroy the, the Old Testament laws, his intent and his accomplishment would be to fulfill the law. And as it, uh, we, we mentioned the last time on the dealing with anger, the idea was that this whole thing is not any, anything uh, Jesus is making up as a new, well, actually, it's a continuation of God's heart in that Old Testament laws. The Old Testament commandments are the reflection of God's character, which do not change at all. But the reason why Jesus seems to be going at it as an antithesis of what's been taught is because of the fact the wrong interpretation has been going on. Pharisees and scribes, the teachers of the laws, and they're the ones that took these commandments and made it conveniently or secretly achievable. In other words, on the behavioral level, the act itself. So to not murder, you shall not murder as long as you don't kill a person. Anything is permissible in some sense. Or to her point of view is they could now say they're righteous because they have not committed murder. Yet Jesus is saying you have heard rather than as opposed to it is written. What God has said in written word of God never changes. What you have heard is implying the interpretation and teachings of the Pharisees and the scribes. And he would say, but I say to you, those are the six illustrations. Same heading will go each section. And Jesus is not going against the Old Testament law. Jesus is going against the wrong interpretation, distorted interpretation of the Pharisees and scribes. So, as a reminder, these three key principles are very important. Not just for this text, but any Old Testament laws, as well as the New Testament commandments, in what way should we approach and understand and follow? Here are three. Number one, follow the spirit of the law, not just the letter of the law. What is the spirit of the law? Remember, the spirit of the law in big picture is loving God. 
and loving your neighbor. And obviously, to not murder is included in that the context in which that command was given was loving neighbor. So having that anger and having these ideas and wishes to devalue, I wish you were not here on this earth, or saying the uh, words that devalues that person who is made in the image of God is actually not following the spirit of the law. Number two, change the heart, which means the thoughts and attitudes and motives, not just the behavior. This is the part that we ought to really pay attention to the, what the scripture says. If you scan it, today's passage, you could read it this way. Many people have read this this way as well. You have heard that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, anyone who, everyone who sees a woman with a lustful intent will lead to Act of adultery. So be careful. No. The actual lusting after looking at a woman with an intent equals adultery. So which means that last time I said welcome murderers, right? And I'll say this morning, if you're like me, if you're not superhuman, welcome those of of you who have a big A letter. We have in some sense committed this sin. Number Three key principle is obey actively rather than just passively to avoid the sin. Avoid, avoiding sin, it becomes uh, we become conscious about categorizing our behavior. Oh, I haven't had an affair. And those are people who were, had an affair or had you know, serious marital problems sexually, or they really need to pay attention. This one, I could kind of sit out. Maybe doze off, it's okay. It's not really for me. No. We need to see the character of God and and follow the heart of God and and actively imitate God. Christ-likeness. So, having said that, let's look at lost, adultery and lost. There are a few things that, uh, let's make an observation on the distorted interpretation of Pharisees. Number one, they restricted its application to the act of extramarital sex. And number two, these restrictions allow them to keep this law on the superficial level, so therefore 
they were able to pray with their hands raised up in the middle of the street during their prayer time. Thank you, God. I am not like those sinners. You know, what, what is so deadly for our spirit is the fact that if we are staying on the behavior level, we too can become self-righteous. Rather than a, a tax collector who is beating his heart, looking down and praying, have mercy on me, O God. The secret and the paradox of Christian life is to be able to see our utter depravity in our hearts. And one way to say it is, unless we we really see that, we don't look to God for for hope and help. Because I could be self-reliant. And I could be somehow carry myself with dignity. But in God's standard, what Jesus is doing is by bringing out the true meaning of that, their depravity and hypocrisy is revealed. It is a scary thing for them, an offensive thing, but scary thing for us because at the judgment day, this very thing will happen in the thousands, thousand times more. To a point that we cannot deny any of our secret thoughts and behaviors before the judgment of God's, God's seat of the judgment. So Jesus bringing out the true meaning. Uh, let's look at it as maybe four different ways. Number one, it is the prohibi- prohibition not just on the act, but the lust in heart. The invisible side, the one that you entertain in your thoughts, but no one knows. And which leads to equivalence, which means that same act of in secret thoughts and motive and lustful feelings, which is given by the, your, your will, which, which doesn't happen automatically, in other words. It is a breach of the seventh commandment, thou shalt not, you shall not commit adultery. Which leads to progression. A sin in heart is the root of sins of behavior. Just think of it as big iceberg, and you know that the tip of iceberg looks big enough, but if you, if you can go deep in the water and watch it, the, one, uh, the top of the visible side of iceberg is one-tenth of the entire iceberg. So sin in heart begins the process and Jesus is saying is, God's look at our, our heart as well as the behavior.
The spirit of this law is sexual purity in heart and deeds. In heart and deeds. I recently I was watching a talk show, show uh, and I just it dawned on me that what we are preaching this morning, when it comes to the Jesus sexual ethic, is so far away now from the mainstream, very you know well educated sophisticated people on a, on a just talk show wise if we say this I think there will be some accusations even repress sex life so that's why you guys have a problem to uptight if we really look at what Jesus is saying, we need to make a decision this morning whether Jesus is really preaching to us and revealing the root meaning and the deeper application of this law. Will we follow this or will we follow the mainstream, most uh, moderate, decent, even among the Christians that the modification of some of the Christian values, but in reality, palatable to even non-Christians. And we would be categorized, what year were you born? You sound like a 19, I mean, 1800s. Even early 1900s, People are awakening up, waking up to this, the new reality. The first thing and foremost thing that I will say is that, as I said over and over, unless we see the supreme authority of Scripture, what Jesus says stays today and tomorrow and forever until that we get to see Jesus face to face in kingdom of God, eternal kingdom of God. Unless we are committed to that, it will be difficult, almost impossible, because it is swimming, swimming against the current. The wave will come. But I don't know whether Robert knew about what, what I was going to do, but, but whenever I, we talk about sex, I'm determined to mention this, so maybe he already saw it coming, right? One thing I wanted to say is a reclaiming biblically sound view of, on sex is utterly important. Why? Because number one, Satan didn't make it. God was the creator. It was God's intent and God's design. And the three things, it's God's giving as a gift. The three adjectives I always say is, is that sex is beautiful. And 
And sex is not just a beautiful, but it is powerful. And sex is not just beautiful and powerful, but it is sacred. Because God made it special and gave the boundary within the marriage, the context of marriage, and between a husband and wife. And so far, you may agree. And then let, me, let me just go on a few more. Number two, sex drive is a good thing. So when, those of you who, who have this, uh, you know, feelings like, oh, I, I wish I don't have the sex drive anymore because my lust pro- problem comes from that. No, you know, actually, there are people who struggle and who goes to therapy and who would use medicines to get their desire because when you have continually have a healthy sex drive God has given that sex as a gift and it is a special bonding effect goes on and in other words even the moment that you felt like you're close to your husband and you're close to your wife the sex makes it even more special. There's a sparkling going on. There's without embarrassing embarrassing Kate, I will say <laughs> too late. There was a even moment of tears because of intimacy. Okay, I will stop there. (laughs) So in light of fighting the spiritual battle of lust, the sex drive is a good thing, but misguided sex drive is a sinful thing, which is lust, right? So because of that, Apostle Paul wisely gave us instruction urge and strong charge to not to deprive each other except only when you pray in designated time. But even after that, be sure to come together again. Have you read verse 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5 at the end? So that the Satan will not tempt you in your lack of self-control. Ours is a society that it has to make everything that you need to have to have the feelings to do it. And rather than that, I, I mean, obviously, the, the, uh, the way that women are made and sexually, women, men are made sexually so different. And then when you have a baby, it's a, it throws a like a curveball on it. And when you have a two, three, uh, sex is out the window. But think about this. In order for us to win the battle, the sex drive has to be in self-control. Definitely marital sex. Celebrated marital sex. Not necessarily everything has to be full course meal at all. But it relieves the tension. 
It's helpful. And many contemporary Christians disregard it as an old saying. It's one extreme to the other. Either you're against sex and you stay away from entire sex, including your marriage sex. Sex is bad, as if Satan created. Or going with the flow and you just open to any kind of movies, any kind of entertainment, and with the billboards that says a gentleman's club. Well, now I'm an adult, and no one's around. I could stop by. Now, when you go to Vegas, and you, everything you do is stays in Vegas, God knows what's happening in Vegas. <laughs> so the question is, when does it look, when does it look become lust? Temptation is never sinful. We don't commit without volition. When we give in, surrender our will, that becomes sin. So the uh, typical saying is, the first look is response. Beautiful woman walking by. If you don't look, you need to go to the doctor and find out something wrong. But if there is a second look and uh, intent and dwelling, that becomes sin. And secondly, when we disregard the, in the inevitable progression of misplaced sex drive, in other words, you just let it, let it hang out there in a very ambiguous way that will lead to definitely lust. So in light of that, you know, when we are tempted, when we are actually committing sin in heart, it's not because that woman or the man has so much power over us, we don't have any defense at all, but because the lust has been residing in our us, and the healthy sex drive is, has not been dealt with, and then because of that, the lustful heart responds to those stimuli and outside. And finally, let's define this. It's not a sin. It's not your fault. If birds flies over your head and poops. But if you let the bird sit on your head and net on your head, that is a sin. In other words, let me give you an example. Uh, let, me, let me be a little bit more vulnerable without embarrassing Kate. <laughs> during, during my youth ministry days, this is back in the 80s, I think I was turning 29 or 30. Uh, I picked up this high school kid, junior, uh, Spending time with him. And then I'm going back and drop him off at his house. There's a girl walking in front of us. Long hair. Beautiful hair. Shining hair. It's almost like a commercial that she could go on a you know, shampoo commercial. 
Well, her, 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 the view from the back was so beautiful, mesmerizing. It, it was a reflex, I promise. I look at the mirror, back mirror, to look at it. But in, instead of looking at her, he looked at me, whether my youth pastor is looking at him. And I got caught. So, ah, I saw you, Paul. <laughs> and then I told him, yes, I'm guilty. <laughs> so what I am saying is, a lot of times, it, sometimes it's a woman, the way they dress. Yes, someone, some people actually want that kind of attention, and that doesn't help for men. But there are times that pe- people are really attractive, very attractive. To look at a, a person without an intent is not a sin. But to dwell on it, and even uh, I've counseled some, some men and, and women who struggles with lust, and, and the man was saying, I just cannot get that song out of my mind. During the worship, it's so bothersome, I have to walk out. What is that song? And he goes, you know, there was a 90s, there used to be, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. But somehow, his uh, times that he was uh, sleeping around, the girls will say, yes, 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 at the climax. And because of that, it was very, very burdensome. And then some guys will say that, you know, those singers on the stage, they're wearing tight jeans, and this just kind of doesn't help me. I have to close my eyes. And those things are real for us, but and yet we just want to clarify, just to look without intent, the sex drive itself is healthy. And that's not what Jesus is going after. But having said that, moral relativism made our culture the absence of any lasting, true, absolute standard. It might be right for you, but it might not. And from by our time, the vast majority of them are so open beyond biblical sexual ethics that we are dinosaurs. We, if we really consistently pursue on this, we will be ridiculed. And part, part of it is, this is maybe the persecution that we will face. And think about it, like the 40 years old, 40 year old virgin. It's funny, but and yet the essence of that is, this guy is a full of lust. But he can't get it because he's inadequate in some sense. So making fun of the person who has actually kept the sexual purity, but without his intent. And speaking of my youth ministry days, there were times that I I had so, my heart broke, broke. So these girls, after the some homecoming event or something, and then he wanted, they wanted to talk to me. And the confession is, I lost my virginity. What do I say to those kids? 
Why? Why? And oftentimes the answer is very simple. Because I want to belong. In other words, everybody is doing it. So for those of us who have some friends, including not just non-Christian friends, but Christian friends, godly friends, and spiritual leaders and pastors and missionaries, we have also know, we, we've known that this sin is everywhere. And I've seen my dear brothers who have fallen because of this simple moral failure from their point of view. But the ramification was so huge. And let's not think that we are somehow immune to this temptation of lust and that we will never fall into the actual act and thinking that we're still more righteous than others. And I'm praying for my sons as well as you probably would. Unlike our old days, you know, during our teenagers, uh, because the internet made everything free and possible, and, and for our kids as well as our own life and pursuing sexual purity, well, we must pray and hold on to this and lead by example. So, um, let's look at what Jesus is saying. In verse 29 and 30, this is most, one of the most harsh sayings of Jesus. And he, not only in this passage, other passages, he will say that. And if you apply in a wrong way, what happens is actually mutilation had happened in some uh, during the church history. The people would took it literally. If your eyes stumble, you gauze it out, tear it out. If your hand makes you sin, cut it off. Some well-meaning monks mutilated, castrated themselves in order to not to have that urge, which is a sex drive is a good thing, right? Remember? But what happens? Does Jesus really mean it? Uh, to, to, to really believe what the Bible says, we need to follow the Bible literally. But think about this. If your right hand it's, it stumbled you, cut it off. You still have a left hand. If you cut this, if you have, a, you have a right, you know, the people who are addicts and gambling people, they will do that with, with the even their toes. If you take the right eye, there's a left eye. If you take the late left eye as well, you have the mind's eyes. The problem is the heart. 
So we need to remember this. It calls for not mutilation, but mortification of sin. John Owen, a Puritan theologian, wrote about this, and a lot of other scholars have used that terminology. For us, it's very unfamiliar term because I'm mortified. We would use that as absolutely, utterly embarrassed. But in the original meaning, to mortify means to kill. The killing of the sins. So the mortification is actually reject simple practices at the root level so resolutely that we put to death misdeeds of body. And there are a few passages, but the, uh, one of the prime passages is Romans 8, verse 20, uh, 12 through 13. Apostle Paul writes, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, but for if you live according to flesh, you will die. But if you by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How do you do that? The simple understanding of this passage is what would it look like if you live as if you cut off your hand? That you will not touch some things and you will not see some things. And that resolution has to be there. What Jesus is saying, go all out. There's nothing too important at the count of eternal destiny. If hell is waiting for you because of those things, nothing on, on earth is so precious to your heart that you cannot throw it away. And this will sound ridiculous to your non-Christian friends. But to us, if man, uh, more visual, right? So men are more committed about this mortification of sin and our lust. Some of the brothers has actually asked me to call a certain time. Because that time means that no one's around and it's late night and his computer is in front of him. So modification started by calling. Modification also started that he will not have laptop in front of him certain time. Modification of sin, sometimes cutting off the relationships. So many times I've seen the people walking away from God. And, and uh, visually, the effect is uh, they're not coming to church and they're not coming to the uh, fellowship anymore because it's too painful. And when I finally find out the misery of that is I look at the person as by the grace of God and mercy of God, I urge you, cut it off. I know I sound harsh, but let go. Oh, I want to... Let me go. No! That's modification of sin.
in several directions, a weakening temptation, we do not feed the flesh, a fighting temptation, we act decisively at the first sign of temptation, and surrendering to the power of the Holy Spirit, when there's a nudging of the Spirit, that we obey immediately. I want to elaborate on that in application a little more. For now, Warren Wearsby about writing about this passage, he writes, Obviously, our Lord is not talking about literal surgery, but this would not solve the problem in the heart. The eye and the hand are usually the two culprits when it comes to sexual sins. So they must be disciplined, Jesus said, deal immediately and decisively with sin. Don't taper off. Cut off. Spiritual surgery is more important than physical surgery. For the sins of the body can lead to eternal judgment. So in closing, let's be practical about the implication of Jesus' radical teaching on, on lust for us today. What would that mean? I have three suggestions. Sorry. Number one, we are to pursue sexual purity in thoughts, heart, and deeds. So maybe we should read this passage in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 with that invisible things in mind as well. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. That sexual immorality includes very comprehensive way. Not just the extramarital sexual intercourse, but pornography, but all kinds of different things, right? Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Maybe we should read it this way too. Do you not know that your mind is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So this morning, we should make a commitment that, Lord, I, I respond to this calling, radical calling, to seek sexual purity, not just on the outside, but in my thought life, but my, in my leisure and entertainment and what I'm watching and what I'm hearing. Let's be vigilant and then going after the spirit of the spirit of God. I mean spirit of the law, our goal is not having these legalistic rules. And if we have a legalistic attitude to our own thing, we will self condemn and then we will judge others. But if we really desire, like Joseph did, how can I sin? 
in the sight of the Lord. I want to aim to love God and please God. And therefore, I fear the Lord, what he will say to me if I give in in secret thoughts. Number two, we are to put to death lust at the foot level, root level and the first sign of lust. Another passage of a modification of sin is Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, on on count of these, the wrath of God is coming. The full counsel of God includes the wrath of God. In other words, the reason why we ought to respect God and love God, the fear of the Lord must be real. The wrath of God comes on this account. Practically, I want to suggest um, fighting temptations. uh, Actually, we go at it as if the Jesus command is applied in our in our lives, which means uh, denying our kind of sometimes foolish desires or sometimes self-reliant desires and then going to the things that stumbling stumbles us or time or places of persons for example there there are some brothers I've I've have uh, heard in terms of counseling well you know, soft porn, it doesn't really, I don't get even aroused. So, wouldn't that be good to, for us to have a good sex life with my wife? The word desensitization comes to my mind. We become desensitized. Just imagine that when you're a young boy and watching any kind of accidentally the the naked woman, just shocking that you cannot get rid of the image out of your mind. But you become desensitized. That means you are sitting at the pool of lustful things allowing, and there's not much of a clear boundaries whatsoever. Yes, for some, some men, there is a personal and individual difference. Some women also too. But there are things that definitely stumbles us, as if the as in those people who are so confident in swimming, goes out to the far on on alone in the ocean, and they're the ones who get drowned. But who gets who's very self-aware of the power of the wave, and be cautious and always stay with the group, they don't get drowned. Lust is the same thing. I've never heard of a person who fell, moral failure, said, oh, I didn't care. I, 
all of them would say something like, I never, under, I never thought this would happen to me. So uh, last night and tonight, I mean, just early this morning, asking Kate and some other woman didn't help in terms of how, how do we apply this as a woman? And a guy thing is so easy, right? We look and it's very, very tempting and, you know, mentally undressing. Those things happen for men all the time. So for, for men, usually, I mean, for women, because women are... Uh, made differently, although there are a growing number of people that I've counseled that pornography becomes a big hindrance as well. But I, I think here's what I got. Jesus didn't mention if your brain or your mind messes you up, stumbles you, take the brain out. Right? Romantic Comedy. It's even not sometimes not even rated R. PG thirteen. Or the harmless magazine of uh, male models. Or the your favorite star in the drama. A favorite show. And there's an entertainment of thoughts going on inside. Fantasy, in other words. It starts with a very uh, nonchalant, very, uh, he would be very, very gentle with me and I uh, would be cared for. And if you entertain the thought, it could really lead. So, which means, women are sisters, you are not immune to lust. Be watchful. And there's one more. I think that um, oftentimes I heard the people who uh, have given to temptation, and here's a typical saying, he made me feel like a woman all over again. So we're not talking about the man making sexual you know, innuendos, anything like that. A very gentle listening ear, and the person is very accommodating and listening to you and make you feel very valued. And, and there's a cherishing moments are going on, and all of a sudden, your heart is wide open. And which is the borderline of lust? Vigilance. Modification of sin happens here. So it is a good principle for, for brothers and sisters not to do one-on-one sometimes if you are, happen to be there. You, you know, when you walk into my office and there are couples and sometimes you know, people are uh, counseling, and it's an open secret. Sometimes people want to close the door, more privacy. No, I leave it open. This is my commitment. You know, my boundaries are a little different so it's our oppressor friends who would not even counsel woman or couple that way at all. But I, I think I'm uh, led by the Spirit and has been effective in some sense. But door is always open. Sometimes if you're meeting at night, I'll ask you to meet at the coffee shop. 
because you, you're going to tempt me? No, not at all. <laughs> because, because I don't trust myself. Because I got wiser than my younger days. Finally, number three, we are to put on the new self with purity daily as we put off, sorry about that, as we put off the old self. Ephesians 4, 22-24, put off your old self, which belongs to your formal manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirits, spirit of your minds, and, and to put on new, the new self created after likeness, after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. When you think about sexual temptation and any kind of temptation, if you resist the temptation, it persists more, especially in this area. And I, I, as a young man who was single until all the way to 34, I know so vividly, the more I, de- I be- became determined to resist the temptation, it will persist. It's about thinking about not to think about red apple so hard, all you think about is red apple. Which seems so obvious, but the biblical principle is, think about something else. You need to have a greater craving in order to say no this, to this wicked craving. And, and it is really true. When people who struggle with lust, you know, taking shower, cold shower every day, every, several times a day, might not help. But if you build stronger relationships, intimacy with brothers and sisters, and your men's group and women's group and home group becomes so enjoyable, and the scripture becomes alive, suddenly, when was the last time I was tempted in that area? Put on the new self. And Romans actually say, put on Christ and do not give any opportunity to the devil. What would that look like for you and me? As I close uh, today's passage, kind of rings in my mind that something that we need to continually think about, but I want to urge you brothers and sisters it begins with our commitment to pursue purity sexual purity in the visual level as well as in the invisible level as well as the visual level how is your heart today And you feel conviction, rightly so, from the Holy Spirit. Do not despair. And today happened to be the communion Sunday. 
that Jesus is inviting us that blood of Jesus will wash away our sin that is like scarlet. But it will be white as snow. Come. Let's be radically, radically different, counterculturally different, Christ follower in this area. Let's pray. Father, we are intimidated. Because when it comes to act, we could somehow manage. But in heart, what goes on in this world, and not to mention the moral relativism, the low and no standard of sexual ethics, but also the rampant temptation as we go on the internet and watch TV, watch movies, in conversations with co-workers at the water coolers. Lord, open our eyes that we may see the power of the Holy Spirit enabling us and calling us with joy. May we bear much fruit in this area as we follow. Keep us pure. And I pray for both brothers and sisters who have slipped and committed sins that we do not know personally. That your mercy will flow like a river. That they will be drawn to you even more so because of that. The poverty of spirit is something that they know personally. For all of us, as we come to the Lord's table this morning. Help us to cling to you. And thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your blood that washed away our sins. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned,